This is in some ways a standalone message, but it's really a truth that not only needs to permeate our whole lives, but it's a truth that's gonna make everything else we talk about over the next few months come alive. In fact, without this, the rest of it can become very informational, and that's not the point. It's not the point. We can believe a list of ideas, we can follow a set of rules, or we can choose what God has intended for us, which is to know and to walk with the true and living God. We can know him. He can know us. And we can watch that impact and change our lives more and more. And so my, my hope is that wherever we find ourselves, if we're a seasoned veteran in the faith and Jesus is just wanting to invite us into a fresh new place with him, I'm excited for that. If this is like baby steps for us and we're just figuring this thing out, I'm believing he's going to show us a path to walk to get to know him more and more, better and better. So this morning, we're going to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to let you guys know up front, there is going to be an opportunity at the end of the service to simply say, God, I want to receive your Holy Spirit in my life. Or if you're someone who is filled with the Spirit and you know what that means, I believe Scripture teaches, and we'll look at this this morning, that He wants to come and fill us fresh and new all the time. Give us refilling of His, of his presence in our lives. And so there's going to be an opportunity for us to just stop before we leave this morning and say, God, would you come and fill me fresh and new? Or God, for the very first time, I want to invite your Holy Spirit to come and live in my life. And so we're going to talk about who he is, we're going to talk about what he does, and then we're going to talk about how we can respond to him this morning. Who he is, what he does, and how we can respond to him. Here we go, Luke chapter 11. So to kind of recap what's happening in the story, Jesus' disciples, they've been watching Jesus for a while, and they see him sneak off, and he prays, and he talks to God, and they watch him do miraculous things, and they hear him speak, and they're just more and more being blown away by him. And then they see John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is going around and telling people to repent. He's got a group of disciples following him. And so they, they come to Jesus. Jesus' disciples come, and they're like, Lord, we've been kind of watching John and his disciples, and like, would you teach us how to pray? John's disciples have learned how to pray from him. Would you teach us how to pray? How should we do it? And so Jesus goes on to unpack for them how they should pray. And he starts with what is now commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's probably familiar to most, if not all of us. Um, and so Jesus kind of goes through the Lord's Prayer. But one of the main points of emphasis in that prayer is that Jesus teaches us, number one, that God is our Father, which has a sense of intimacy and personalness. And then number two, he tells us to pray for his kingdom to come. So God, I want you to come and be in charge right here today in my life and in this world. And so that's how we're to pray, with intimacy. God's our Father, inviting him to come and to rule and reign in our lives. Then Jesus goes on, and as he finishes talking about this prayer, he begins to tell a story. And so he tells the disciples this story. He said, imagine a friend was on a long journey. This is probably something some of us can relate to. What are some states that people traveled to, like this holiday season? How far did you guys go? Shout some out to me. Where'd y'all go? Too far? We're not even getting a state. We just get too far. Ohio. Ohio. Where else? Other people travel? Missouri. Missouri. Ohio. Where else? Virginia. Virginia. Pigeon Forge. Pigeon Forge. That's like its own state. Yeah. All right. It's its own country for sure. All right. So we did some travel. We spread out. So imagine 
coming home from a journey and you get home and there's nothing to eat. You're starving. It's late at night. There's nothing in the fridge. You're hungry. And Jesus says, imagine this friend has returned from a long journey and he comes to your door in the middle of the night and he's <laughs> pounding on the door. Dude, wake up. I'm starving out here. Can I get like a loaf of bread? Something. You got something for me. And he says the friend inside is like yelling from his bed out to the friend. It's late. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. Go away. Take care of yourself. I got nothing for you. That's literally what's happening in the story. The guy doesn't want to get out of bed. He's, he's asleep. His kids are in bed. Go away. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That friend will get out of bed and give him food, not because he's his friend, but because the guy at the door won't stop knocking. It's because of his persistence. He keeps knocking. He keeps begging. Get up. I'm wearing you out till you get up. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my daughter, Kate, believes very strongly in this principle. And she puts it into practice almost every night. Her, she would love to sleep in bed with me and Amy every night. And I just, I won't have it. I won't agree to it. I'm sorry. You're going to sleep in your own bed. Kate's our baby. She's the youngest of six. And every night there's some excuse. The door kind of cracks open or you hear just the little knock. And she comes in and it's, I need a drink of water. I got to go to the bathroom. Dad, I just, I just needed to snuggle for a minute. Just needed to snuggle. You know, there's always something. And the later in the night that it is, the more frustrated I am, but also like my willingness to fight her on it just decreases drastically. And I'm like, whatever, fine, get in. And I probably give in like one out of every five or six times, which I know that's why she keeps doing it. I get it. I've blown it. I'm letting her cheat. And then now she won't leave me alone. But listen, she wants something and she just keeps pestering till she gets it. She wants to hang out with dad. And so she wants to come snuggle into bed. And that's just what happens. She pesters. Well, Jesus is actually telling the disciples, this is a spiritual principle. This is something you should apply to your own life. He picks up after that story and says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. He says, now I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, he's not talking about what's your Christmas wish list, and if you just ask, seek, and knock, you're going to get it. He's talking very specifically about the Lord's presence in our lives. And he's talking about the ability to pray the Lord's Prayer and see it become real in our lives. I can ask things like, God, would your kingdom come? Or Lord, would you provide for my daily needs? Or God, would you forgive me and please help me forgive somebody else? Lord, help me. The evil one has come along and he's trying to rip me off. God, rescue me from temptation. Save me from the evil one. And these things begin to come to life when we ask, seek, and knock. He goes on, verse 10. For everyone. Who? Everyone. everyone. Pretty sure that means everyone. It's not a complicated Greek word. If we go back to the original, it, it means what it sounds like right there. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? I hope the answer is no one. There might be some practical jokers in the room, but hopefully we wouldn't give our son a serpent instead of a fish. Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give 
the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Notice he doesn't say, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good gifts? The implication is, we know as parents what a good gift looks like to give our kids. God, therefore, knows what a very good gift looks like, and he names what that gift is. It's his spirit. If we want to experience God's presence in our lives, if we want to be able to walk around experiencing his kingdom every day impacting our lives, it's a gift he wants to give. If we'll ask for it, if we'll seek him for it, if we'll knock, he gives. That's the principle. Ask, seek, and knock, and God will give us the best gift. He intended for us to have it. A.W. Tozer had this to say about the Spirit-filled life, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. I mean, I was actually overwhelmed sifting through scriptures for this morning. I still feel like I might have too many in my notes when we start getting into this. I mean, you almost have to run away from where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, he mentions the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist started talking about it. Hey, I'm baptizing with water. Somebody else is coming behind me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus told his disciples over and over things like, it's actually going to be better for you when I leave because then the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to help you. We get through all the stuff Jesus has to say about it in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's showing up over and over and over again. We see Peter. We see John. We see Paul writing about how necessary and important it is for the Holy Spirit to be filled in us. Man, we can go back to the Old Testament before Jesus showed up on the scene. And the prophet Joel is saying, guess what? In the last days, God's Spirit is going to be poured out on everybody. God's plan, His desire, is for us to receive and experience His Spirit, His presence in our lives. And what's interesting is on one hand, there's a part of us that kind of knows there's more. There's a part of us that longs for something that we can't quite see or get our fingers on. We know there's more than just this physical world. We see the brokenness, we see the frustration, we see the difficulty of this life, and we know there's more. But there's another part of us that can get weirded out by strange spiritual things that we've seen or heard about or have been misrepresented and so I feel like somewhere in this sway, people have either drifted way too far into some weird stuff that is not within the parameters of what God has for us, or out of fear, we retreat and pull away from it completely and just say, I think it's just safer to be over here and not get into all that. But God has something for us. It is his spirit. It is his presence in our lives, inviting us into life right now today and into eternal life that will last forever. His spirit is present and available. So let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, I just thought I would read this to you guys. There's a reason we have this on our website. Um, this is a small few sentences sort of encapsulating the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and so I want to read this to you and, and hopefully explain it and make sure this makes sense to you guys. But this is something that is a core belief for us. We believe that there is one God in essence power, and authority, and that he's manifested or he reveals himself in three distinct 
non-created co-eternal persons. So it wasn't like there was a father and then at some point in time, then he created Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-eternal. They've existed forever together. They are manifest in three different parts and yet they're one. Now I can say that to you. This brain up here can't fully get it. There's times where it's just easier for me to picture three that are, they're, they're kind of so closely related, they're sort of like one. Or there's another time where it's like, well, I can relate to them being one, but having three parts. God is this miraculous, beautiful blend of three and one. In fact, part of what's so amazing about the Trinity, that they live in such perfect harmony, that I can't tell whether it's three beings that are separate, that are so related to each other, they're like one, or it's one being with three, three facets. It's just God. God in one, three in one. And the beauty of his Holy Spirit is that God is actually inviting us to experience a relationship that he's had with himself forever. He's happy and satisfied and enjoying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't make us because he was lonely. He made us because it was his good pleasure to say, I'm going to create you and then give you an opportunity to choose this great relationship if you want it. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... There's a bunch of verses to back that up. You don't have to just take my word for it. If you go to our website, they're listed there. Um, if there was ever a set of notes, I would encourage you to download and check up on me. It would be this message. There's tons of scripture in here. And so you can download these notes on the website when you go see the sermon. And, um, you can find it. All right. So the Trinity. Now, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. He is co-equal, co-eternal, and he's cooperating. They work together. Co-equal, co-eternal, they're operating. Here, let me give you some examples really quick. These aren't going to be on the screen. I'm just blasting through these for time. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. That's a plural conversation that's taking place. We know that God created through the word. Jesus is called the word. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the deep, right, in the first couple of verses of Genesis. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in creation. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus affirmed this principle when he said, hey, when I tell you to go therefore and make disciples, here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them in the name of, does he just say God? No. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's the three in one. In fact, we see the Holy Spirit present and participating in such major moments as creation, Jesus' baptism, the Great Commission, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all the incredible stuff that happened on the day of Pentecost and after. The Holy Spirit is active and present. Here's the point. And this is, what, this is what I hope you guys hear from me this morning. If I'm saying stuff that's very familiar to you, the point of this is not just to affirm doctrine that we believe up here. The point of this is to understand that the Holy Spirit is available so we can experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our lives. I can have a relationship with the Father who loves me. I can know and talk to Jesus, who is my Savior and my Lord. The Holy Spirit comes, and he helps me understand what God is saying. He helps me communicate with him. In fact, he lives within me. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about, if that's who the Holy Spirit is, we're going to talk about some of the things the Holy Spirit does. Now, I'm going to try to capture as best I can a pretty wide net of all the things the Holy Spirit does. The truth is we would need to do a series that lasted a while to fully capture every aspect of who the Holy Spirit is. But I'm going to just kind of 
whet your appetite a little bit for this. So, first of all, Jesus talked about him a lot. And so, in John's gospel, um, there's a whole set of chapters. Uh, we're going to be in f- chapters 14 and 16 just a little bit, but it would be well worth reading where Jesus is talking to and then praying for his disciples. It's this long discourse that happens before the cross. It's kind of all a part of his last days and even hours with his disciples. And one of the things he was emphasizing to them was their need to be connected with God. He talked about things like abiding in Jesus. He talked about things like them experiencing the unity that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have with each other. And one of the main principles he talked about over and over again is that his disciples were going to need the Holy Spirit in their lives to help them, to teach them, to remind them of things. And so I want to give you a flavor for this. Um, First of all, in John chapter 16, verse 7, I kind of referenced this a few minutes ago. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So all those moments in your life where you thought, I mean, I've joked about this for years, but not really, not really even a joke. I kind of mean it. How nice it would be if Jesus was just present. Like if I could just schedule a coffee with him, if I could call him up and we could have an appointment and get together, I could see him face to face, how huge that would be. How wonderful that would be. Well, that person that I would love to see face to face and spend time with, he says that it's actually for my benefit that he's not here right now because instead I don't have to schedule an appointment. God's spirit is with me. He's right next to me. He comes and lives inside of me. He is with me all the time. This isn't some weird mystical Star Wars force thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality. He's real. He's not just a mystical energy. You know, I've thought for years, one of our, one of, I don't want to say our, because I don't know if you guys have these issues, but one of the things I've struggled with over the years with the Holy Spirit is um, because he doesn't have a name like Jesus or he isn't called like the Father because, because his title is Holy Spirit, it doesn't sound like a person. You know, it's like, it'd be nice if his name was just Fred, right? Me and Fred are spending time together this afternoon. I guess I'm the only one. I'm weird. I don't know. Anyways, but I just, I think because of his name, it can sometimes confuse us. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He has personality. He wants to know us and walk with us. Jesus said he's going to help you. It's to your benefit if I leave and he comes into your life. Let's keep moving. John 14, verse 16. He says, hey, I'm going to actually ask the Father that he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know, there's a lot of things that I can't wait to get to in heaven that I'm going to see or experience for the very first time. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. I can't wait to be done dealing with sin. Or even like right now, I can't wait to be done dealing with like a cold and a runny nose. Like that's going to be really nice. There's the silly little things like that I'm excited for. There's amazing, majestic things I'm excited for. But you know one thing I can already experience right now? God's presence in my life forever. Me and the Holy Spirit already have an eternal relationship going on that's just going to last. It's just going to continue. And so I get a taste of the eternal right now in my everyday life because the Holy Spirit is available and present. So Jesus said, I'm going to have him come to you and he'll be with you forever. There's not going to be any break. 
He goes on, verse um, 26 in the same chapter, John 14, 26. But that helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is really good news for you guys. This means you're not reliant on Jake to teach you things. Y'all should be really excited about that. That is really good news. I'm not reliant on other teachers in my life. I'm grateful for them. I'm believing it's the Holy Spirit operating in their life that helps me to learn something. I'm not saying there isn't value in learning from others. But we have our own personal intimate teacher that will come along and help us see and understand things that we don't know apart from him. He'll teach us. And then the second thing I'm grateful for, because I've got a terrible memory, he reminds us of things we've already learned. Our relationship with God isn't like cramming for a final exam and hoping we pass. No, I can know him. I can learn more and more about him. His spirit will teach me who he is and what he wants to do in my life. And when I'm in need, the resource that was planted inside of me, it's there. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, let me pull that back down off the shelf. Here you go. Let me remind you of that right now in your moment of need. He teaches, he reminds us. Verse 13 of John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He guides us. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, it shows that, again, that personal intimate connection between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not just kind of floating out there on his own. When he's present and talking to me, he's sharing with me things that the Father has to say. Things that Jesus is praying for in my life. The scripture tells me Jesus ever lives to intercede on my behalf. Jesus is praying for you and me right now, even as we sit here this morning. He's praying for us. And his Holy Spirit wants to guide us and show us things that God wants to do in our lives. So he's our helper, our teacher, our guide. Okay, a few more things and then we're going we're gonna to move on. Um, Paul begins to talk about some things that the Holy Spirit brings. So not only does, does he come just as our helper, as our guide, as our teacher, Jesus also used things like comforter to describe him. <clears throat> Paul emphasizes another aspect of the Holy Spirit, and that is the assurance that he brings. He brings a sense of just, we can know, we can have some things settled. And so really quickly, I just want to highlight a couple of these to you. First of all, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, <clears throat> and he says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And he has also put on us his seal and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So it's not just that the Holy Spirit is there and available to help me. He is present and he is literally like the guarantee on a contract. He's that, that like stamp, that seal that says this is official. Back in that day, like if the king had a message to send somebody and he wanted to make sure they knew it was from him, he would have a special wax that would get melted and then he would take maybe a signet ring that had his emblem on it. He's the only one that had that ring. It was almost more powerful than a signature and just there it is. That's from the king. This is official business. I can count on this was the point. That's the Holy Spirit's role in my life. I have a guarantee or an assurance. An assurance of what? Well, there's a couple specific things that Paul writes about to tell us that we have assurance of. First of all, a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 5, verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, he's talking about these bodies living on this planet. While we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So he's talking about the struggle that we have here in this life. And he's like, man, it's hard and we're groaning and we long for something different. He's like, but we're not longing for the thing that we see, that body that dies. We're longing for what's on the other side of that. We don't want to escape this world and die. We want to fully experience the life God has for us. And he's telling us that God's purpose is for us to move from this life into the life, eternal life, the perfect life that he has made us for. And so he goes on in the next verse and he says, the Holy Spirit, look at this. He has prepared us, or sorry, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God has prepared us for eternity. And he has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the first thing I can know that the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing for my life is my eternal life. I can know that that issue is settled and resolved. When I say some things we're going to talk about in a minute, when I respond to the Holy Spirit and I receive him and I say yes to Jesus, something immediately happens. The Holy Spirit comes rushing into my life and he is now a stamp. He's a seal. He's a guarantee that I'm God's eternally. Paul builds on this a little bit in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where he talks a little bit more about what's guaranteed to us. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, he's talking about Jesus there, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesus is the son of God. The Bible describes him as the only begotten son of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, when we accept him and the work that he has done for us and we choose a relationship with him, God now adopts us into his family. And because Jesus is sharing his inheritance with us, I not only become a son or a daughter who can cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, but he shares all of the things that benefit from that inheritance. So there's eternal life. There's access to the Father. There's the promises of God. There's any number of things that the scripture talks about that are the inheritance that we receive from Jesus. And so I have my eternal security guaranteed and I have an inheritance in Jesus that awaits me. One of those, as an example, is when I get to heaven, I'm not going to have to deal with the consequences of sin anymore. Well, it's not because I've lived such a good life here that I earned the right there to no longer deal with sin. It's because Jesus bought and paid for that for me. And so in him today, I'm forgiven. God looks at me through the eyes of Jesus I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm his child, and I have his inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is our needed helper. The Holy Spirit provides assurance. Two more things. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in my life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. He produces an incredible fruit in my life. I, I don't know anybody that reads that list and is like, man, I just think my life would be better off if I didn't have those things. I'd really love to go through life without experiencing love. That'd be great. I just kind of want to be a loner. I don't really want to experience love. Now, there might be times where we make that choice because we don't trust people and we've been hurt, but that's not really the desire of our heart. We desire love. Man, I'll tell you one thing that I think our particular culture is in desperate lack of is peace. God desires to give us peace. And it's a fruit. It's something that flows out of his Holy Spirit. Instead of always needing to strive for more, wanting more, being sold stuff every second of every day that I just have to have or I'm not going to have what I need, or seeing images on Instagram or Facebook of these perfect lives everybody else leave, lives that I need to somehow try to aspire to that I can't ever obtain. No. God's presence in our lives brings peace. What an incredible list. This isn't... That isn't a list of things that, man, oh, I just hope maybe that'll work out. It's something he's promising us comes with the territory. If I receive him in my life, he produces fruit that breathes love, peace, joy into my life. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. And then there's this little tack on, against such there is no law. See, the beauty is God has a law. There's a, there's a list of requirements. And like it or not, you and I have broken them. In my case, a lot. I've broken them. In Jesus, I'm not only forgiven for those things, but because his Holy Spirit comes and lives in me, something starts to take place in my life. The fruit of what I used to produce, rage, frustration, fear, anxiety, basically the opposite of this list, all of those things begin to decrease more and more as God's presence in my life begins to change me and produce something in me I can't produce on my own. And he begins to produce this kind of stuff in my life. And that's what begins to flow out of me. And I no longer have to stress out about, am I keeping God's law? If I am walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit and inviting him to come in and be a part of my life, that work is happening. I can rest in the grace of God that he's changing me more and more into his image. And I can rest in the fact that Jesus has paid for my forgiveness and the Holy Spirit is empowering me to live a different kind of life. So, he's our helper. He gives us assurance. He produces fruit in our life. And finally this morning, he gives gifts. Um, now, at some point in our life as a church body, we will dive into a series about the gifts of the Spirit and what all he gives the body for its equipping. So I just want to encourage you guys, there are three main passages that contain the different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. If you are a note taker, here they are. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. I include chapter 13 for a reason. It's about love. And Paul meant it to be a necessary part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12 is an essential chapter that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in passing, what I want to say is that the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts us to do a lot of different things. 
There's things like prophecies and healings and speaking in tongues. There's preaching. There's teaching. Um, there, there's all kinds of things. I'm probably missing some off the top of my head here. But there's this beautiful picture that all three of these passages have. All three of these passages emphasize unity. They emphasize love. And they emphasize the gifts. If we remove one of those pieces, we're missing out. They're meant to work together. The Holy Spirit comes to work together in my own life. I actually want to just read this to you. This is something I typed out and I was like, I want to just say this. The Holy Spirit's primary role in the life of a follower of Jesus is for the transformation, healing, health, and unity of the individual believer and the whole body of Christ. What's healthy for the part is healthy for the whole and vice versa. The whole body needs health and me as a part of it will benefit when the whole body is healthy. And likewise, if this part is unhealthy or having problems, it's going to affect the other parts of the body. If you don't believe me, let's take a hammer and smash the top of your big toe for a second and you tell me if your whole body doesn't experience something. First of all, probably rage at me for smashing your toe with a hammer and then the pain that it's inflicted on your foot. I don't just go, oh, toe, shut up, it's fine. The rest of me feels good. I'm aware that my toe hurts, all right? God designed the gifts that he gives us through his Holy Spirit, not to make me feel great all the time, but to benefit the body, to bring encouragement, to bring health, to invite people to Jesus that don't know him at all, to help people be strengthened who are growing in their relationship with Jesus, to help people heal who are hurting or in trouble. That's what the purpose of the gifts are, to benefit the whole body. They will benefit me personally. That's an awesome byproduct. But the benefit is for all of us. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. He's one with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've talked a little about what he does. He helps us. He brings a sense of assurance in our life that we belong to God, that we're his forever. He produces fruit in us and he gives us gifts that benefit each other. These are some of the things, some of the primary things the Holy Spirit does in our life. Now, I wanna wrap this up and then we're gonna have an opportunity for response. Um, I'm gonna do this part pretty quickly. So if you guys wanna start getting ready, Crystal and Alex are just gonna kind of play a song at the end and give us an opportunity to just pray together this morning. And so um, don't worry or be distracted by them kind of starting to set up. Um, I wanna read this quote to you from John Piper and then we're gonna wrap things. John Piper had this to say about the Holy Spirit. He says, when you read the New Testament honestly, so in other words, if you stopped reading it just as, oh, what are some basic things it's teaching me? If we just read it as a story that people were telling about something they experienced, if we read it honestly, you can't help but get the impression of a big difference from a lot of contemporary Christian experience. For them, the Holy Spirit was a fact of experience. For many Christians today, it is a fact of doctrine. We are meant to have an experience with God that is life-giving and life-changing. It's available. Listen, absolutely, I don't get out of the starting gate without the finished work of Jesus forgiving me of my sin. My sin separates me from God. There's no doubt about that. 
In fact, on the day of Pentecost, it's one of the main things Peter talked about. He convicted people with the truth that they were sinners, that Jesus was crucified because of their sin, and that they needed to repent. All right, that's, that's, that's what gets us out of the starting gate. But God doesn't save us to just get us past a line that says, okay, here you're in big trouble forever. Here you get to go to heaven forever. The end, have fun hanging out on this earth till you die. That line is to move us into an eternal relationship with God that is what we were made for. It's a relationship that's incredible, that impacts our life for the better, that, that touches the people around us, our, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our friends, our parents, our coworkers. But me, my own life, my own heart, we're meant to experience God. And so the Holy Spirit is available to us. And so I want to point out four things to you. I'm going to just rattle them off. Boom, 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 boom. I don't want to get lost in the references and, and miss the point, but I will show you where this is in Scripture if you need to see it, okay? First of all, Jesus told us, we've already seen how essential it was, but he told his followers, I don't want you to take another step until you wait and receive the Holy Spirit. When he went back up to heaven, the Great Commission was a big part of what he had to say. That was like the mission statement, but the fuel for the engine was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what he told them is, okay, you're going to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel, but I want you to wait for a minute first. And what you're going to do while you're waiting is you're going to ask, seek, and knock. And then my father is going to do what he promised. He's going to give the good gift of his Holy Spirit, and you're going to have what you need. So he promised that. Okay, then they wait and they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter, who was scared and running and hiding and didn't even want a few days before to be recognized as a follower of Jesus on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was denying him. Now he's standing up in front of thousands of people. This is like a month and a half later, 40 days. He's standing up, maybe 60 days. He's standing up in front of thousands of people and he begins declaring not just the truth of who Jesus is, He's telling the same crowd of people that were cheering, crucify him, that the one they crucified is the son of God and that they need to repent for what they did and accept Jesus. 3,000 of them say yes and repent. And in the midst of that message, he says to them, you need to repent and be baptized and then you need to receive the Holy Spirit and so does everyone coming after you. That's us. We're the come after you people. So Jesus talked about it, Peter talked about it. Okay, it's possible for people to have accepted a relationship with Jesus, repented of their sins, and not fully understand that God wants them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this guy named Apollos who was preaching to people about Jesus in the scripture, in the book of Acts, and he had followers that were following him. And some people came along who knew about the Holy Spirit and were like, hey, man, this is awesome. You're teaching people about Jesus, but there's something you're missing. Let me, let me show you this. And they explained to them that Jesus desires that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were like, this is awesome. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Sign me up. And they laid hands on him and prayed for him and they received the Holy Spirit. And then finally, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he talks about um, the Holy Spirit being active in our life. In the terminology he, he actually is contrasting it with drinking alcohol. It might sound really weird, but he was saying, hey, you don't need to be filled up with spirits or drunk on spirits is actually what he said. But instead, he said, instead, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And if we look back at the original words there, what they meant was being continually filled. So if you'd have a beer, you know, bunch during the week, he's saying, hey, you need to view your relationship with the Holy Spirit like that. Forget getting drunk. You need regular doses, regular tastes of the Holy Spirit in your life. The idea is being regularly, continually refilled. It doesn't mean we lost something and he's not there. It just means he wants to pour out fresh encouragement, a refreshing in our lives, and so he's available. So why am I telling you all that? I think the scripture makes it very clear that when we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. I believe that's clear. I can show you a lot of scriptures about that. He's the deposit guaranteeing that we belong to God. I also believe the scripture shows that we make an active decision to then invite him to come rule and reign in our life. Holy Spirit, would you come be in charge? Would you immerse me? We, we use the phrase being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We use that terminology because we can visually understand what water baptism is. I'm covered up in it. I'm immersed in it. And the picture is, I was an old way before I went down, and I'm a new person when I come up. Y'all know that from being water baptized, right? We even say some of those things. Dead to my old man, risen anew. It's a picture of what happens in Jesus. Well, we get to say yes to God's Holy Spirit, and He will come and baptize us with His presence. He will be there and fill us, and we're going to be different as a result. Gifts might start showing up in our lives. His fruit will begin being produced in our lives. I'll have an ever-present helper. I'll have a deep assurance. And so we can say yes to Him. And maybe you've done those things. Maybe you've accepted Jesus. Maybe you even said, Holy Spirit, come and I want to be baptized in your presence. I want to say yes to you and receive you. Well, we also just need times of refreshing and saying, God, would you fill me up again, fresh and new? It's kind of like that verse you were sharing, Crystal, of just like, hey, sometimes we're in that desert place and it's like, man, I just need to come across a fresh, clean well. Well, Jesus said, I'll give you living water that will bubble up into eternal life. He wants to give us his Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. We're just going to have a, a simple opportunity for you to be prayed with, if you would like. Um, scripture shows pastors and leaders laying hands on people and praying for them to receive the Holy Spirit. But I'll also tell you, there's not some magical thing in Pastor Jake putting his hands on you. You can go home to your prayer closet and say, Holy Spirit, will you come fill me up? And he'll show up and do it. But I do want to say, if you're in here this morning and, and it's something you've never done before, is invited the Holy Spirit to come and be in your life, you can simply ask, seek, and knock. And God will go, sweet, I've been wanting to give you this gift for a while. Here you go. And he'll give you his presence, his Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Or this morning, if you're just saying, man, I'm just, I can relate to that desert dry season. I, I just want to be prayed over. I, I want a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit. We'll stand and agree with you in prayer and do that. So here's what we're going to do. Rob, would you just come stand with me this morning? Um, instead of kind of splitting up, we'll just take our time. Rob and I are just going to stand together. I'm not going to pray some huge long prayer. Um, but if you want someone to, to pray with you this morning to receive the Holy Spirit for the first time, or if you're just like, man, I just want a fresh feeling, a fresh touch from God's Spirit in my life this year, Rob and I would love to pray with you. Um, and so y'all come up at any point during this song. I would encourage everybody else, if we're filled and we're good, well, man, let's worship him. Let's enjoy being in his presence together this morning. And so let's just kind of wrap up service in worship and, and in some prayer. And so I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, y'all come on. 
I know it might be weird to come forward in front of people. I understand two things when it relates to responding to Jesus. It takes humility to respond to Jesus because I'm saying, God, there's something I don't have that I want and I need you. And it takes courage because Jesus called people publicly over and over and over again. He never took people off in a corner. He wanted other people to see and be encouraged. Usually the first person is the one that encourages other people. You know what? I'm going for that too. So it's going to take humility. It's going to take courage. I'm going to pray for that over you guys. And then come on. All right, Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you love us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm grateful that you did return to the Father and that um, we can now receive and experience the helper in our lives, your Holy Spirit. And so God, I just pray for my friends this morning. Lord, there's no magic, there's no perfect phrase that we have to say. God, we just have to say yes. So Lord, we're declaring to you this morning that we are asking, knocking. Lord, we desire to receive your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you promised to give good gifts to your kids. And so, Lord, for every person in this room, God, if you're stirring their heart to come and receive your spirit for the first time or to get a fresh infilling from you, Lord, I just pray that they would have some humility and have some courage and they'd respond to you this morning. Lord, we love you and we're just excited to see what you do in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.